Chapter One of the Autobiography of a Slander. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of a Slander by Edna Lyall. My First Stage. At last the tea came up, and so with that our tongues began to go. Now in that house you're sure of knowing the smallest scrap of news that's going. We find it there the wisest way to take some care of what we say. Recreation. Jane Taylor. I was born on the 2nd of September, 1886, in a small, dull country town. When I say the town was dull, I mean, of course, that the inhabitants were unenterprising, for in itself Muddleton was a picturesque place, and though it laboured under the usual disadvantage of a dearth of bachelors and a superfluidity of spinsters, it might have been pleasant enough had it not been a favourite resort for my kith and kin. My father has long enjoyed a world-wide notoriety. He is not, however, as a rule named in good society, though he habitually frequents it. And as I am led to believe that my autobiography will possibly be circulated by Mr. Muddy, and will lie about on drawing-room tables, I will merely mention that a most representation of my progenitor, under his nom de theatre, Mephistopheles, may be seen now in London and I should recommend all who wish to understand his character to go to the Lyceum, though between ourselves he strongly disapproves of the whole performance. I was introduced into the world by an old lady named Mrs. O'Reilly. She was a very pleasant old lady, the wife of a general, and one of those sociable, friendly, talkative people who do much to cheer their neighbors particularly in a deadly lively provincial place like Muddleton, where the standard of social intercourse is not very high. Mrs. O'Reilly had been in her day a celebrated beauty. She was now grey-haired and stout, but still there was something impressive about her, and few could resist the charm of her manner and the pleasant easy flow of her small talk. Her love of gossip amounted almost to a passion and nothing came amiss to her. She liked to know everything about everybody, and in the main I think her interest was a kindly one, though she found that a little bit of scandal every now and then added a piquant flavor to the homely fare provided by the commonplace life of the Muddletonians. I will now, without further preamble, begin the history of my life. I assure you, my dear Lena, Mr. Zaluski is nothing less than a nihilist. The sound waves set in motion by Mrs. O'Reilly's words were tumultuously heaving in the atmosphere when I sprang into being, a young but perfectly formed and most promising slander. A delicious odor of tea pervaded the drawing-room. It was orange-flower pekoe and Mrs. O'Reilly was just handing one of the delicate Crown Derby cups to her visitor, Miss Lena Houghton. "'What a shocking thing! Do you really mean it?' exclaimed Miss Houghton. "'Thank you, cream, but no sugar. 
don't you know mrs o'reilly that it is only low church people who take sugar nowadays but really now about mr zaluski how did you find it out my dear i am an old woman and i have learnt in the course of a wandering life to put two and two together said mrs o'reilly she had somehow managed to ignore middle age and had passed from her position of renowned beauty to the position which she now firmly and constantly claimed of many years and much experience of course she continued like everyone else i was glad enough to be friendly and pleasant to sigismond zaluski and as to his being a pole why i think it rather pleased me than otherwise you see my dear i have knocked about the world and mixed with all kinds of people still one must draw the line somewhere and i confess it gave me a very painful shock to find that he had such violent antipathies to law and order when he took ivy cottage for the summer i made the general call at once and before long we had become very intimate with him but my dear he is not what i thought him not at all well now i am delighted to hear you say that said lena houghton with some excitement in her manner for it exactly fits in with what i always felt about him from the first i disliked that man and the way he goes on with gertrude morley is simply dreadful if they are not engaged they ought to be that is all i can say engaged my dear i trust not said mrs o'reilly i had always hoped for something very different for dear gertrude quite between ourselves you know my nephew john carew is over head and heels in love with her and they would make a very good pair don't you think so well you see i like gertrude to a certain extent replied lena houghton but i never raved about her as so many people do still i hope she will not be entrapped into marrying mr zaluski she deserves a better fate than that i quite agree with you said mrs o'reilly with a troubled look and the worst of it is poor gertrude is a girl who might very likely take up foolish revolutionary notions she needs a strong wise husband to keep her in order and form her opinions but is it really true that he flirts with her this is the first i have heard of it i can't think how it has escaped my notice nor i for indeed he is up at the morleys pretty nearly every day what with tennis and music and riding there is always some excuse for it i can't think what gertrude sees in him he is not even good-looking there is a certain surface good-nature about him said mrs o'reilly it deceived even me at first but my dear lena mark my words that man has a fearful temper and i pray heaven that poor gertrude may have her eyes opened in time besides to think of that little gentle delicate thing marrying a nihilist it is too dreadful really quite too dreadful john would never get over it the thing i can't understand is why all the world has taken him up so said lena houghton one meets him everywhere yet nobody seems to know anything about him just because he has taken ivy cottage for four months and because he seems to be rich and good-natured every one is ready to run after him 
well well said mrs o'reilly we all like to be neighbourly my dear and a week ago i should have been ready to say nothing but good of him but now my eyes have been opened i'll tell you just how it was we were sitting here just as you and i are now at afternoon tea the talk had flagged a little and for the sake of something to say i made some remark about bulgaria not that i really knew anything about it you know for i am no politician still i knew it was a subject that would make talk just now my dear i assure you i was positively frightened all in a minute his face changed his eyes flashed he broke into such a torrent of abuse as i never heard in my life before do you mean that he abused you dear me no but russia and the czar and tyranny and despotism and many other things i had never heard of i tried to calm him down and reason with him but i might as well have reasoned with the cockatoo in the window at last he caught himself up quickly in the middle of a sentence strode over to the piano and began to play as he generally does you know when he comes here well would you believe it my dear instead of improvising or playing operatic airs as usual he began to play a stupid little tune which every child was taught years ago of course with variations of his own then he turned round on the music-stool with the oddest smile i ever saw and said do you know that air mrs o'reilly yes i said but i forget now what it is it was composed by pestal one of the victims of russian tyranny said he the executioner did his work badly and pestal had to be strung up twice in the interval he was heard to mutter stupid country where they don't even know how to hang then he gave a little forced laugh got up quickly wished me good-bye and was gone before i could put in a word what a horrible story to tell in a drawing-room said lena houghton i envy gertrude less than ever poor girl what a sad prospect it is for her said mrs o'reilly with a sigh of course my dear you'll not repeat what i have just told you not for the world said lena houghton emphatically it is perfectly safe with me the conversation was here abruptly ended for the page threw open the drawing-room door and announced mr zaluski talk of the angel murmured mrs o'reilly with a significant smile at her companion then skilfully altering the expression of her face she beamed graciously on the guest who was ushered into the room and lena houghton also prepared to greet him most pleasantly i looked with much interest at sigismund zaluski and as i looked i partly understood why miss houghton had been prejudiced against him at first sight he had lived five years in england and nothing pleased him more than to be taken for an englishman he had had his silky black hair closely cropped in the very hideous fashion of the present day he wore the ostentatiously high collar now in vogue and he tried to be sedulously English in every respect. 
but in spite of his wonderfully fluent speech and almost perfect accent there lingered about him something which would not harmonize with that ideal of an english gentleman which is latent in most minds something he lacked something he possessed which interfered with the part he desired to play the something lacking showed itself in his ineradicable love of jewellery and in a transparent habit of fibbing the something possessed showed itself in his easy grace of movement his delightful readiness to amuse and to be amused and in a certain cleverness and rapidity of idea rarely if ever found in an englishman he was a little above the average height and very finely built but there was nothing striking in his aquiline features and dark gray eyes and i think miss houghton spoke truly when she said that he was not even good-looking still in spite of this it was a face which grew upon most people and i felt the least little bit of regret as i looked at him because i knew that i should persistently haunt and harass him and should do all that could be done to spoil his life apparently he had forgotten all about russia and bulgaria for he looked radiantly happy clearly his thoughts were engrossed with his own affairs which in other words meant with gertrude morley and though as i have since observed there are times when a man in love is an altogether intolerable sort of being there are other times when he is very much improved by the passion and regards the whole world with a genial kindliness which contrasts strangely with his previous cool cynicism how delightful and homelike your room always looks he exclaimed taking the cup of tea which mrs o'reilly handed to him i am horribly lonely at ivy cottage this house is a sort of oasis in the desert why you are hardly ever at home i thought said mrs o'reilly smiling you are the lion of the neighbourhood just now and i am sure it is very good of you to come in and cheer a lonely old woman are you going to play me something rather more lively to-day he laughed ah poor pestal i had forgotten all about our last meeting you were very much excited that day said mrs o'reilly i had no idea that your political notions he interrupted her ah no politics to-day dear mrs o'reilly let us have nothing but enjoyment and harmony see now i will play you something very much more cheerful and sitting down to the piano he played the bridal march from lohengrin then wandered off into an improvised air and finally treated them to some recollections of the mikado lena houghton watched him thoughtfully as she put on her gloves he was playing with great spirit and the words of the opera rang in her ears for he's going to marry yum 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 and so you had better be dumb 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 i knew well enough that she would not follow this moral advice and i laughed to myself because the whole scene was such a hollow mockery the placid benevolent-looking old lady leaning back in her armchair the girl in her blue gingham and straw hat preparing to go to the afternoon service the happy lover entering heart and soul into sullivan's charming music the pretty room with its chippendale furniture 
its aesthetic hangings, its bowls of roses, and the sound of church bells wafted through the open window on the soft summer breeze. Yet all the time I lingered there unseen, carrying with me all sorts of dread possibilities. I had been introduced into the world, and even if Mrs. O'Reilly had been willing to admit to herself that she had broken the Ninth Commandment, and had earnestly desired to recall me, all her sighs and tears and regrets would have availed nothing. So true is the saying, Of thy word unspoken thou art master, thy spoken word is master of thee. Thank you, thank you, how I envy your power of playing. The two ladies seemed to vie with each other in making pretty speeches, and Zaluski, who loved music and loved giving pleasure, looked really pleased. I am sure it did not enter his head that his two companions were not sincere, or that they did not wish him well. He was thinking to himself how simple and kindly the Muddleton people were, and how great a contrast this life was to his life in London. And he was saying to himself that he had been a fool to live a lonely bachelor life till he was nearly thirty, and yet congratulating himself that he had done so since Gertrude was but nineteen. Undoubtedly he was seeing blissful visions of the future all the time that he replied to the pretty speeches, and shook hands with Lena Houghton, and opened the drawing-room door for her, and took out his watch to assure her that she had plenty of time and need not hurry to church. Poor Zaluski! He looked so kindly and pleasant, though I was only a slander and might have been supposed to have no heart at all. I did feel sorry for him when I thought of the future and of the grief and pain which would persistently dog his steps. End of My First Stage Recording by Rhonda Fetterman